We're talking tech again today, but much more too, with small robot company founder Sam Watson-Jones. Technology doesn't come in and solve farming. Farmers solve farming, and it's farmer decisions that lead towards a better future. And there's one crop that seems to have done rather well in the harvest this year. It's been absolutely good. We've had lots of bunches, but small grapes, but with a very good natural alcohol content of between 11 and 12%. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, welcome to this week's Farming Programme. Let's start with the headlines. Almost a billion litres of milk were produced on British farms in September. That's the second highest figure in 25 years for that month. The sellout date for products with the active ingredient epoxyconazole is just a week away, 31st of October. Stocks must be used or stored by then. Uh, We spoke about the shortage of straw a couple of weeks ago on the farming programme. Shortages inevitably lead to higher prices. Andrew Ward spoke to Cumbria straw contractor Paul Winder and asked if indeed that is the case. What are the prices like? Well, it will be double this time compared to what it has been at the moment and there's a possibility it'll keep climbing. So where, when you, when you say double normal, where would you be in a normal year? We're normally delivering on the farm, well, anywhere 60 to £80 pound a tonne. Yeah. Some years can be less. At the moment, straw prices in Cumbria are anywhere 100 to £130 pound a tonne, depending on what you want and quantities you want. Yeah, you see, that's the problem then, isn't it? It starts adding the cost onto it's, the... Yeah, yeah. And the small hill farm is working on the breadline to start with. They're, they are not far off being non-viable. And so you start putting the extra costs on. There will be some of these farms will say it's it's not going to be viable anymore and, and pull the plug as such. Yeah, and of course this is the problem. And also we've got now grain prices are going up, which is great for us us arable uh, farmers. But of course then that adds the hard food cost onto the sheep and yeah. cattle farmers. Yeah, well. this is it. I know the lamb price has been good this year and it is looking still half decent at the moment. But if you have to start feeding lambs it's going to put too much of a cost on for the bedding them and the feeding them. And what about um, uh, silage and, and haylage and hay? How's that at the moment? Is a plentiful There's, supply of that? There is plenty of silage about and haylage. Um, I wouldn't say there's a lot of good quality hay about, um, but I don't think for that side of things we'll be overly too bad, uh, especially in Cumbria because we can grow grass when it rains and, and still manage to get it off luckily. And this year there was enough rain to, for the grass to grow? There was enough once. rain to make it grow once we got away from the drought April, May, which in Cumbria didn't really affect us overly bad. Yes, it did drought some of the crops off um, but we've made up for it later in the, in the year really. Straw contractor Paul Winder, thanks Andrew for that. Well the straw situation may be bad but it's looking good if you want to drown your sorrows with a nice bottle of wine. Bill Hobson from Summerby Vineyards joins us. Bill, morning. Welcome to the Farming Programme. Morning to you. You keeping well? Absolutely. Despite the circumstances, we've got the best garden in Lincolnshire. (laughs) Yes, that's very true. Listen, I'm I'm seeing all sorts of reports of a bumper grape harvest down south. Is that the same with you? Uh, It is with me, but it's not up in Yorkshire. They've had a bad time because they had a bad frost in mid-May. Right, so despite the the peculiarities of the weather we've had this year, the grape harvest has been okay. Yeah, we've had a good crop down here in uh, North Lincolnshire. It's been absolutely good. We've had lots of bunches, but small grapes 
but with a very good natural alcohol content of between 11 and 12 percent. So we've had a good year, plenty of tonnage, and we've even exported them this year. Where do you export to then? Yorkshire. <laughs> They've had a bad time, so we've yeah. had them down picking from Rydale uh, and from uh, up near York, a couple of vineyards who lost a lot of their crop. So we've heard them out this year. They've been down and taken a lot of our grapes because they've had next to nothing. They've had a rough, rough time. And if you think as the crow flies, it's only like, you know, 50, 60 miles away. So that's the big difference it's made to us. But we've had a great crop. We've got some wonderful wine. It's going to be an excellent year. What do you put it down to with the smaller grapes? Well, I just sort of think that we've not trimmed them out so much this year because it's been sort of wet and it's been windy. We've not sort of taken them out. If you cut grapes out, what you leave there tend to be bigger. But all that matters to us really is the juice which we get out of them, which is absolutely perfect. And we live on that wonderful escarpment between Brig and Geister facing southwest. So we are well sheltered as well. We really have an ideal place with ideal weather. Excellent. And how do you actually test the alcohol content, Bill? We have a machine to do that, uh, and we put it through that on a daily basis. We go around the vineyard and take all of the same variety, about sort of half a kilo. We crush them, then we put them through this machine, which gives us a reading. And when we've got the right reading, which is something between sort of 90 and 95, we then say, right, tomorrow we're picking, and we just keep picking until we take them all. Bill, thank you so much for the update. It's a pleasure. Anytime. The plethora of schemes introduced by the government over the last few months to support businesses through coronavirus have often caused confusion to those they were created to help. We've had furlough and the coronavirus job retention scheme. Now, from the 1st of November, we'll have the job support scheme and the expanded job support scheme. Uh, These are designed to support businesses who are facing lower demand over the winter months and those whose premises are legally required to close temporarily as a result of government restrictions and to help keep employees on the books whose jobs may be otherwise unsustainable. Now, I could describe the schemes and their workings to you, but it would take up an entire edition of the farming programme on its own. Instead, I'm going to give you a link to the NFU's webpage on the subject, which is excellent, very detailed, but in plain English. Grab a pen. I'll give you the link at the end of the programme. Before that, let's see what's happening in the world of agronomy from plain speaking Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Plain speaking, yeah. Well, that's a good lead-in to what we're just about to do. I was always taught to call a spade a spade rather than a digging instrument. So while we're talking about plain speaking, I just want to clarify something which I said on last week's programme because I made a slip of the tongue and it started something of a debate on Twitter for the rest of Sunday afternoon as a result. Because when we talk about seed rates on the programme, I'm referring to a particular formula to work them out. So that formula is thousands seed weight multiplied by the target number of plants per square meter that you're aiming at divided by percentage germination of that seed and multiplied by 100 plus field losses so 1.1 you would multiply it by if you're looking for 10 percent field losses for example and that gives you the kilograms per hectare of seed you require in order to give you that number of plants per square metre that you specified in the formula. It aims to establish that many plants. So I just want to say thanks to Richard Hinchcliffe, who pointed out that instead of me saying plants per square metre, I said seeds per square metre. And it is confusing, uh, particularly when we're talking about 
plants to be established, but we call it a seed rate. I just want to apologise to anybody I confused by me saying seeds rather than plants, because clearly you'll be sowing between 320 and 350 seeds or so in order to get 275 plants established once the germination and the field losses are accounted for, which are, of course, in that formula. And hence, this time of year, end of October, we're looking in general to establish somewhere around about the 275 to 300 plants per square metre. Um, some people will go higher in black grass situations in order to give you a bit more competition, but that's generally where we're aiming at this time of year. So thanks very much to Richard Hincliffe. Always a pleasure to be told that you've made a mistake. And to sum it up, I know you thought you heard what you thought I said, but actually what you heard wasn't precisely what I meant. Plain speaking in action then, Steve. Um, right, moving on to agronomy. This will be short and sweet. Oil seed rate, there are some big old plants out there. Um, and we're starting now to see the foam of the light leaf spot, bit of alternate area, just starting to appear in these crops. So choose the right fungicide for the situation you're faced with. Big canopies will probably benefit from a plant growth regulatory effect from the fungicide. And fungicides like metconazole, tebuconazole have good growth regulatory effects in their own right. But other fungicides like prothioconazole and difenoconazole don't have that growth regulatory activity. So tebuconazole, prothioconazole, very good on light leaf spot. Teb, prothio, difenoconazole, pretty good on foam or all of those. Prothio, difenoconazole, don't have any plant growth regulatory effect. And light leaf spot levels are quite low at the present. So choose your weapon and tailor it to the site, the variety and the diseases that you're seeing within those fields. Speak to your advisor to get the right course of action. Cabbage stem flea beetle larvae showing up now. We are starting to see them in, in these crops, but much, much lower incidence than we were seeing last year around these parts. But I understand there are some real issues in other parts of the, the UK with big, good-looking crops that are turning out some very high numbers of cabbage stem flea beetle larvae. And, and remember... Eight leaves or the 1st of November, the end of October, is really the cutoff for using Clethodim or Centurion Max type product, particularly if you're looking at an early flowering variety because you don't want to damage that developing flower bud. Cereal drilling stepped up uh, a gear nicely at the beginning of the week until rain stopped play once again in the middle of the week. I can't stress enough the importance of those pre-emergence herbicides. You need to get them on within three to five days of drilling. It, the best scenario is to drill them, roll them and spray them. The next best, if you can't roll because of the conditions, then it is drill and spray. But I think it's a big mistake to drill if you know you're not going to be able to spray that pre-emergence on in that three to five day period, particularly on black grass field, because results can be very, very disappointing from those pre-ems where they're applied as a post-em. Bali yellow dwarf virus, aphids about, surprisingly. We're not used to seeing them in the weather conditions we've just had, but I can find winged grain aphid and bird cherry oat aphid out there in cereal fields so if that second generation of aphid activity coincides with your t-sum of 170 remember the bydv assist app that i mentioned last week go to the your app store and download that and it'll help you out and with ma managing and calculating those 170 degree t-sums but consider treatment if all of those circumstances coincide with each other but assess spider numbers too out there and only spray if you have thresholds of the aphid 
aphids, if your T-sums are being met, if the right aphids and few predators are out in the field. Talk to your advisor because timing is key. These insecticides are not residual, so hitting the target is necessary. Just routinely spraying is a big mistake. Slugs increasing as well. And remember ferrous phosphate if you can. Uh, they, they work just as well as the metaldehyde slug pellets. And also remember, of course, you have to use up any metaldehyde slug pellets by March 2022. Uh, spring beans drilled in the autumn. This is something people are talking about at the moment. People are drilling them as winter beans because obviously winter bean seed is very difficult to get hold of. If you're going to do that, you want to aim to establish between 40 and 45 plants minimum a square metre. Remember that formula we talked about earlier on? It's the same calculation. They want to go on mid-November. You certainly don't want them in much earlier than that because you don't want them too frothy going into the winter. They need to be drilled about three inches deep and then just keep your fingers crossed and hope for the best. PGRO website has some very useful guidance on the use of spring beans drilled in the autumn and sugar beet all over the place anything from 12 to 30 tons to the acre 30 to 75 80 tons per hectare sugars anything from 13 to 19 you know it'll just be good to get out of 2020 alive so let's see what the next seven days bring thanks as ever sean sparling of sparling agronomy services who can be contacted through his website sasagronomy.co.uk in a moment, part one of a very interesting chat I had a few days ago with the founder and CEO of Small Robot Company. And we're talking more than just agri-tech. Kit's here with the market report and we'll see what the weather holds for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. We've spoken about new technology and precision farming several times on the programme. Is it the future? Do we really need it? Can't we just carry on the way we have for generations? Is the farm viable the way it is, or is change inevitable and essential? I met up virtually with the founder of the small robot company, Sam Watson-Jones, the other day, and we ended up having a very long but very enlightening conversation, too long for one edition of the farming programme. So over the next two or three weeks, we'll hear what Sam has to say about tech, the future of farming, and about helping each other and changing for survival. Let's start with a bit of background. Sam took over the running of the family farm and soon found that it wasn't in the best of health, financially and environmentally. Was the realisation of the state of the farm, Sam, the spark that ultimately ignited the small robot company? Yeah, it was. Um, it was looking at my family farm and realising that potentially on my watch, so I was in my late 20s when I was doing this sort of thinking, you know, potentially on my watch, the farm was going to fail. And there were probably two ways that I saw that happening. We were going to fail in terms of our interaction with the environment, primarily how we were working with the soil. And there was, as I saw it, a very real possibility that, as I say, within my lifetime, our soil no longer became viable. And the second one, which was perhaps more immediate, was, was economically. And it was very clear to me that we needed to to dramatically change the way we were running our farm in order to to create a business model that was sustainable and that i think that the next sort of layer on top of that was that and the technology that we are using at the moment is not going to solve those problems um so that's when i started to take a bit of a, a deeper look at what what could the technology the technology solutions be for a better way for a better way of farming 
You were running the farm. We know how busy that can be. Wasn't it difficult to find the time, Sam, to step back and consider what needed to be done to make things better? I think it's very easy to fall into that trap on on a farm where farming is so busy and it's cyclical in nature that it's, you know, it's August, so we're, we're harvesting. It's October, so we're, so we're drilling. And you have things that, you, that need to be done at each time of the year that actually getting the space to, to stop and think about what you're doing and actually look further ahead than a, than a 12-month calendar cycle. You know, where do you want the business to be in 20, 25, 40 years? And that was the, the thinking that I tried to do. Was, was project that a little bit further forward. And when you do that, you can see very clearly that, that um, or I could see very clearly that the technology we were using, the business models we were operating, weren't going to provide a solution that enabled a long-term future for the business. And I guess you were using conventional farming equipment then? We had auto steer uh, tractors. We had variable rate spraying uh, applications. We had soil maps and, and, and all the, the things that you would expect from someone who's interested in, in technology and farming going forward. But then I looked at it and thought, well, I can't, I can't see how any of this really makes a difference. I can see how, you know, variable rate spraying is going to give us like a 2 or 3% uh, incremental improvement, make us slightly more efficient. I can see that our soil maps are maybe giving us some useful information, but I can't see that it transforms the farm. And I think that was the thing that I saw the potential of, is that actually we shouldn't be thinking incrementally. We should be thinking transformatively, if you like. And actually, there is a much better future for the way that we produce food than the way that we farm. And technology is is one of the, the ways that we get there. But it's also about the way that we that we think as farmers. It's the thousands of little decisions that we that we take as farmers every year. I could see that if we that there was a path towards actually a really abundant future where farming is not criticised as you know as a as a hugely negative contributor towards climate change and towards lack of biodiversity and towards degrading soil health and pollution and water usage and all of these things that kind of get laid at the farmer's door. Actually, I see a future where farming is the most positive contributor to all of those uh, different factors because we've just taken better decisions and those, those decisions aggregated across hundreds of thousands and millions of farms across the world lead towards a much better contribution from this, from this sector. Technology, as I say, plays a key role in that because I think technology can unlock the potential for, for greater accuracy, greater measurement in terms of the data we collect and in terms of the way we, we take action on our fields. But technology doesn't come in and solve farming. Farmers solve farming and it's farmer decisions lead towards a better future. So with your precision farming tech kit, you're able to get much closer to the crop and how it's doing to enable those decisions to be made. You call this per-plant farming. What exactly do you mean by that? And by per-plant farming, we mean the ability to, to, yes, gather data on individual plants and then to, to use artificial intelligence and machine learning to make predictions about the best action for that individual plant or for this particular square meter of soil and then the ability to take action at that same plant level so yeah we're using we're using small robots to enable that to happen so the data is a really key point and farmers will be able to see their farms 
in a completely different way to how they see them at the moment um, in much more detail at the per plant level. They'll be able to instruct robots to, to take action at that per plant level. But that actually probably one of the most powerful things that's going to happen is that farming is going to shift from being an activity that happens in isolation to an activity that happens in a network. What does Sam mean by that? We'll find out in part two of my chat with Sam Watson-Jones, founder of the small robot company, on next week's farming programme. Time now for our weekly look at the markets, courtesy of Open Fields' Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. The wheat market, global wheat futures, continues to find support after the US weekly export data confirmed another strong week on maize and wheat. U.S. maize is now at its highest point since September 2019, while U.S. wheat is at a high not seen since December 2014. China keep buying a further 400,000 tonnes last week, and this demand for feed is ultimately the reason for funds to stay friendly and keep buying. London was all over the place earlier on in the week. May 21 was £2.90 up in the morning and 50p down by 4pm, but ultimately finishing £1.80 up. The November 20, May 21 has all but righted itself now, so the technical issue of the long v the short prior to tendering is all but done. New crop traded 60p lower, which was a surprise considering the French planting data that came out on Friday. One thing which is supportive to the UK wheat as we try to find a new level is our relationship to the French Batif. Based as the spot month, French wheat is now trading at a premium to the UK. The situation is less stark than the further forward position, but certainly the Matif market has been supported of late by their own small crop. New crop planting issues in the recent interest from Algeria to buy milling wheat. There was a tender last week for 600,000 tonnes and a further tender this week from a North African country. As the EU number one producer and indeed exporter of milling wheat, Algeria would normally be the major export destination for French milling wheat. It should also be noted that because of the spec needed, some Black Sea wheat can't be offered into this sale. Moving on to Aussie rate, even though the UK has seen a small harvest and a weak pound at the back end of this year, Aussie rate prices seem to be capped at current levels. 350 is now achievable pre-Christmas, which, looking at the five-year average, is not a bad price. However, oilseed rate has risen steadily, like wheat, but on the back of the weak pound and the lower crop number. It just has not risen as far. Next year's crop continues to look good for the Lincolnshire area, with limited reports of flea beetle damage so far. Barley market continues to see a low volume of trade, as and when required, from either the trade or indeed the consumer direct. Little movement in values due to the lack of liquidity, however, all concerned are conscious of a tick-up in feed values. Old crop markets will continue to lack real direction with a lot of uncertainty remaining over demand from brewers with the UK seemingly entering another tightening Covid restriction cycle. New crop numbers have briefly been discussed as wet weather hampers winter plantings leading to some inquiries on new crop but ultimately what will we be able to switch from winters into springs. Moving on to prices this week, feed wheat x the farm for October is 180 to 182. November 183 to 185, February 186 to 188, and May 189 to 191. Milling wheat premiums for Group 1s are currently £22. Oilseed rate for October is 347 to 349, November 348 to 350, and no carry 350 for February all the way through to May. Barley for October is 138 to 140 and it's the same situation for November, February and May all the way through the marketing season, 138 to 140 pounds. 
Molten premiums are circa £12 for a Max 185 Nitrogen and £20 for a Max 165 Nitrogen. Many thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. So what's it looking like this week? Well, unsettled is probably the best description, with low pressure continuing for most of the week. Winds from the south to southwest today, speeds in the mid to high teens with light rain and the odd sunny spell, highs of 12 Celsius. Monday sees lighter winds and from the southwest, some rains likely in the afternoon, sunshine before that, highs of 11 Celsius. And Tuesday looks cloudy with more rain, perhaps 5 or 6 mil in the afternoon, southerly winds in the upper teens MPH and highs of 12 degrees. Winds will be from the southwest for the rest of the week, brisk and gusty from Wednesday with gusts up to nearly 50 miles per hour. Plenty of rain through till Friday with very little sunshine. Highs of 11 Celsius on Wednesday, increasing to 15 or 16 Celsius by Friday. Some congratulations to finish the programme this week. First to Market Raisins' Will Arden, runner-up in last week's Farmers Weekly Britain's Fittest Farmer. Secondly to Redhill Farm near Gainsborough, who've won the Golden Fork at the Great Taste Awards. And to Friends of the Farming Programme, the greatest online agriculture show, who were awarded silver for Digital Innovator at the British Farming Awards. Well done all. And finally, here's that link to the NFU's Job Support Scheme webpage. Go to nfuonline.com, click News, then Coronavirus, and you'll see the page there. Back next week with part two of my chat with Sam Watson-Jones from the Small Robot Company, plus so much more from the world of agriculture. In the meantime, I'm Steve Orchard. Stay safe, stay positive, and have a good farming week.